Okay, we are on to Psalm 23, verse 3. God rescues and restores me. I should probably read the verse, since that's what I'm going to be talking on. Psalm 23, verse 3 says this, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All this flows out of verse 1. Obviously, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But verse 3 flows from verse 2 as well, which is um, really talking about how he gives us what we need. He makes us to rest. He doesn't give us what we want always, but he gives us what we need, even when we don't know it, especially when we don't know it. Just like a parent gives a child what that child needs and not necessarily what that child wants. And that's what our Lord does for us as his children, as his sheep. And so verse 2 really focuses on sort of the eating and the drinking and the sleeping and the resting and the lying down because the sheep feels secure. But this sort of is an advance. It takes it to the next step. And he restores my soul, which is the first part of this verse, is really, it really follows quite integrally from verse 2. And the way my kids have memorized it, even in cadence, it follows so well. Um, he... Let's see. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Pause. Right? So even that, in that he restores my soul is the beginning of this verse. So it's, it's, it's really included. There aren't any verse in the original Hebrew um, autograph, the original text, which we do not have. We have copies of. And that's a different conversation. If you want to know more about that, go to our essentials collection on our app and... Um, under teachings and, and go to, can I trust the Bible? Talk about that some, but, um, he restores my soul. He, he moves from being a God who, who if verse two is about resting us, he's a God who gives us rest. Verse three is about his rescuing and restoring us, which of course is what we need, but even on a deeper level, right? So he restores my soul. He restores my soul. He doesn't just give me rest. He gives me restoration. Verse 3, literally, it begins, he, he shoves my soul. And that, that verb shuv in the Hebrew is just the normal verb for return. For return. It doesn't have to be a spiritual thing. A lot, oftentimes, it's just he returned from his journey. He turned around and came back. He brings us back. He returns our soul. And the, soul, the word soul there can be spiritualized, but it really just means my life, all of me. So he brings me back. We should immediately ask, from where? Well, this tells us, this through strong implication, that we have wandered away from where we, from the shepherd, from where we thrive, from where we're meant to be. And that's the story of Scripture, right? In Genesis 3 and onward is that we've strayed through sin. We've left the providence of God. We've distrusted him and trusted Satan, trusted ourselves and everything screwed up in our, in us and in the world because of it. So our a state that we're born into is that we have, we're already strayed and far from home. And what does the shepherd do? He brings us back, all of us. And that's really the story of, so in these few words, it's two short words in the Hebrew, he restores my soul. Um, is packed the in, the entire story of redemption, that entire sweep of redemption is, is packed poignantly into these two words. 
that begin Psalm 23, verse 3. Um, and it, makes, it, it takes us to stories like that Jesus tells, like the prodigal son, which beautifully tell in a really captivating way the story of our being born in God's house, but then choosing to leave him leave everything that's good for us. We don't think it's his rule over our lives and his care for us and his name over us and our being in his family is such a great thing because we're screwed up by sin. So we leave his house and we go into a far country and we squander it all and we become miserable. But then by God's grace, some of us come to our senses and we go back home and we have no case We've shamed him. We've, in every possible way, he doesn't, he's within his rights to not take us back. He's going to have to um, pay big time to bring us back into the home and, and really absorb our shame. And that's exactly what he does because he loves us and he sent his son to go rescue us. And that's all there and so much more embedded into that beautiful story of the prodigal son. And that's embedded into these two short words. Um, Ken Bailey says that he says i'm directly quoting here he says sadly we in the west have lost the image of a lost sheep that's at the heart of this psalm of psalm 23 and that really gives it sort of an epic um feel to it and the epic the epicness of the story of scripture itself like i've been saying and of our salvation and rescue is embedded in this little psalm here and we lose it because we don't maybe recognize when it says, when it says, um, he restores my soul. It kind of sounds like, oh, I'm taking a drink and it's really satisfying or, um, something else. But when we, when we understand that really the verb is he returns my soul, he returns my life. Then we ask the question, what returns me from where? Oh, I'm from, I'm wandering. I'm lost. That's, that's, uh, deeply, deeply implied here. So there are two actions involved. Um, first, the shepherd must go get the sheep and rescue him. And, and then second, the shepherd must bring the sheep back. But only that second part's mentioned. The first is assumed, right? The going and the getting. And it's for us to contemplate the great cost, says Bailey, to the shepherd to leave and rescue us or to leave and rescue the sheep. And that's, that is the story of the incarnation of the Son of God that he left the most beautiful, secure, rich, glorious place, his home in heaven and the perfect love of the Father. Although he never left the perfect love of the Father while on this earth, except that when he was on the cross, and this is getting at the heart of the mystery of the incarnation and the crucifixion and our atonement, he was forsaken so that we could be brought in and could I even say he, I hesitate even on this podcast to say this, but that he was unloved. He had to take our place, friends, as sinners who justly bore the wrath of God for our sin and were damned forever apart from God and even under his white hot wrath because God is just and he cannot excuse sin. So in that sense, there must have been a sense in which he became the, the, the loved became the unloved so that the unloved we could become the loved. And I'll, and I'll stop there. And if I've committed great heresy, then I repent, but I don't think that I have. I think that that is at the heart of, of what Christ has done for us. And it's a mystery. I can't explain it, but it happened. Um,
That we are restored by our shepherd tells us that we need restoring. We needed to be brought back. Maybe we still do. Maybe we're listening to this and we're just lost at sea and we don't know God in Christ. We need, we need to be brought home and, and in Christ we can be. We need to be rescued and we also need to be reconstituted. You know, not just, not just saved, but that process of, of salvation needs to work itself out in us all by Christ through faith in him. And so we need to be restored, reconstituted. Um, and that means someone had to go out and get us. And, that's, and God has done that in Christ. That great shepherd of the sheep left the fold and came to rescue us. Um, one of my favorite one of my favorite podcasts is called, I haven't listened to it in a while, Desert Island Discs. It's on the BBC Radio 4. We lived in Scotland for four years and it became one of my favorites through a good friend, Murdo McLeod, then. And um, it remains one of my favorites. But anyway, it, it, it's, it, it's always an interview of someone. And in this case, it was an interview of a doctor uh, who ran hospitals and did a bunch of wonderful work around the world. And he, he works in three hospitals in London, and he's been, surgery, been doing surgery in war-torn areas for the past 20 years. And he was talking in this interview on Desert Island Discs about being in Gaza in a hospital operating on a girl whose guts were hanging out of her abdomen. And men came in, rushed in, and said that the hospital was being bombed and would be destroyed in five minutes and to get out now. And I'm sure they were yelling at him. And he looked at his... He looked at his... Um, he said, I'm, I'm staying. I'm finishing the surgery here. Otherwise, this girl dies. And uh, he looked at his assistant, and his assistant looked at him, and he knew, okay, this my assistant's staying with me. So they stayed. The others left. And, um, oh, he... he he asked the anesthetist with him, do you want to leave? And he said, no, I'll stay with you. And they kept working. <clears throat> the bomb never dropped, obviously. And um, they finished the work, and the girl was saved. And at that point in the interview, the, <clears throat> the surgeon started weeping, which is pretty rare. He was a, he was a Brit, and they don't do that often, especially uh, pretty reserved, especially when they're being interviewed, but touching and beautiful and powerful. And, you know, that's... That's our, that's our great surgeon. That's the great shepherd of the sheep. That's our, that's our God. That's our Jesus. He, he stayed till the bitter end. He hung on that cross, not because he had to. At any point, he could have decided to, to leave. He never had to come in the first place, but he stuck all the way until it was finished. And that was some of his last words on the cross, right? It is finished. And he had the ultimate bomb. You know, the bomb didn't it wasn't not dropped on him like on the surgeon it was dropped on him in the worst way the bomb of god's wrath perfect wrath justly poured out against our rebellion and sin and evil and all the all of what is so unlike god and 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 so um revolting to him about evil and sin um, was was put on Christ, and Christ became on that cross, and He endured God's punishment um, for our sin and evil for every single person who would look to Him. He endured infinite hell for every single person that would look to Him by faith and be saved. And um, 
and he stayed. He stuck. He paid the price. So he he returns my soul, and the cost that is that is pounded and plowed into and folded into those two words is just it's truly infinite and staggering. He brings me back from my wandering, from my sinful straying. But I also, like I sort of touched on earlier, think that there's a sense in which um, in bringing me back home, he brings me internally. So he saves me, but in saving me, that works itself out, right? To where he brings me back to my right mind. He restores me. He sets the broken bone. He heals me. He makes me whole. He doesn't just bring me home and say, okay, you're, you know, I'm done with you. No, he he reconstitutes us. We're born again, and then he grows us up in him. And that's called sanctification by, by theologians and by Paul in the scriptures. And that's the process by which our being rescued works itself out throughout our whole body and soul. And we become more and more like the one who saved us. And that's all by faith. It's all by faith. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 through, 8 through 10 talks about that, right? All of our good works that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in are all in Christ by faith but they are indeed good works. And, um, you know, watching someone restore something that's been damaged, whether it's through weather or whatever, is, is always so cool. Those old shows where you see a car restored or a piece of old wood restored and put into a house or whatever, and so much energy and care and time and expertise goes into the, that restoration. Think about how much genius and power and expertise and energy and care and love and time were taken, must be taken for the restoration, the full and complete restoration of a human soul. And that God is committed to and is able to do through Jesus. Um, and what he does with this isn't, he doesn't just partially restore us, he fully restores us. He's, he he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion till the day of Christ Jesus, those beautiful words of Paul. And we think of the words of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, I think it is, where he talks about how, you know, it's frustrating sometimes because, because of this full restoration process and because we're so damaged, but God is committed to not just saving us, but not just returning us, but restoring us. I think that's the full sense of what Dave is talking about here. He's not just, uh, you know, two metaphors. He's not, we're not just a pencil sketch. We're a masterpiece by a Dutch realist, by a Dutch master, by Rembrandt. There are layers upon layers of texture and color of paint on this canvas. And when he pulls out the, the paint knife and scrapes away the paint and adds more layers and textures and colors and, and, and works for years and years and years on this masterpiece, we wish it's painful and we wish that he wouldn't do it. We wish he'd get it over with, but he's creating something that's going to last forever. It's going to be with him. It's going to be like him. And he's committed to us fully. And, you know, the other metaphor, not of a painting, but of a, a structure that Lewis talks about is that we think when he gets to work on us at first that, and when we're saved at first that maybe this is going to be sort of a, a side project, a little renovation, maybe a new drain is going to be put on the side of the house, Lewis says, or, or something else. But indeed, he's doing a full renovation. There's a sense in which he's scraping us down to the studs and he's rebuilding us and he's putting up new wings here and, and um, putting up walls here and, and, and doing all these things that are um, very, very, very involved and that are deep, deep works, and it's painful. And he uses pain often to teach us lessons that we can't learn any, any other time. And so this time 
during COVID at the end, hopefully the, the end of COVID is the, is the vaccine is coming in and um, during all this election tumult and the markets and everything is nuts and there's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of isolation. There's been a lot of loneliness, been a lot of questions, been a lot of soul searching. It's a, it's a time where it's ripe for our saying to God, okay, do your work, Lord. There's a lot of pain going on, a lot of questions. Uproot whatever it is in me. Destroy my false dependencies. Um, make me to rest in you. Make me to trust in you. Restore me. Um, it's, it's, it's fertile ground for God's work in our lives. So let him do his work. Let him do his work. Um, and he talks about this. He Paul talks about this beautifully, this process in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, 4, 16 through 5, 10, which I will not read, but I would enjoin you to read. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 5, 10. Um, we are being made into these eternal, uh, glorious objects. This weight of glory is heavy on us, but it, it happens through pain and um, through trial and privation. And so um, even, even God himself, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, subjected himself to this sort of thing. Hebrews says the astonishing thing, it seems heretical, he was made perfect through his sufferings. That doesn't mean he wasn't sinless. He was always sinless. It means he was made complete. And what? And he did that for us because what is not assumed is not healed. And so because he endured that process of learning and of going through pain and of shouldering that, it can be applied to us by faith as he walks with us and as he lives in us. And so, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next through this. So he's the one who restores us. And then also he, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me for his namesake. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, for his namesake. You know, I love... We'll talk about paths of righteousness in a little bit as we close this, this, um, this talk, but I love that he does it for his namesake. It's just right-sizes me. It reminds me of sort of what I'm reminded of when I look at the stars. I looked at the constellation Orion last night after going out my back door, just looked up, taking the trash out, and there's Orion uh, stretched out overhead, and I just thanked God for that. It just reminds me of how small I am, but how I'm still loved and how there's a greatness in me because I'm made in God's image that recognizes how vast the stars are and how small I am. Deer, don't, deer in a field that are under the stars don't, don't recognize any of that. Um, and so it's beautiful, but it right-sizes me. It reminds me that I'm small but, but beloved and that I'm not the center of the universe. God is. I'm not the sun. I'm a planet or a moon around the planet orbiting. And that's, I'm made to understand that and I work best when I understand that and when I work in that way in that kind of universe. Um, but sin, what sin does is it makes me think I'm the sun. It makes me think I'm the center and that throws everything out of whack because I can't sustain that. And God doesn't get his rightful place and both of those things screw, screw us up. So this just reminds us that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And there's so much here and I don't think I'll have time to go over not only all of it, but even all that I wanted to, but that's okay. Um, Lord, would you lead me? But he does it for his namesake, right? <clears throat> it's not ultimately for us, it's for him, and that's good for us. Um, good parenting, you don't love, you don't tend to the kids uh, 
you don't want them to know they're the center of the universe. That'll that'll not be good for them. You you don't even want to love them first. You want to love God first, and you actually want to love each other as husband and wife next. And you want the love between that you have for the Lord and that you have for each other to, to, to filter down to them. And they actually gather around your love for one another, and they actually thrive when they know that they're not the center, that you put each other first. They, they're made for that. And in the same way, we're made for this, to know that he does all these things for his namesake. Um, I'll never forget just getting blapped, getting hit upside the head of, of the two-by-four of John Piper, by John Piper, when he, he preached on this, um, this truth about God, um, like only Piper can, <clears throat> from Romans three twenty-one through 26. But in verse 25 in particular, it was at Passion, the Passion Conference, either 97 or 98. That shows you how old I am. In Austin, I think. <clears throat> Austin, Texas. Um, verse 25 of that glorious passage where Paul just unpacks the gospel after two chapters of just, <clears throat> of just painting us all into a corner and saying, you cannot save yourself. Nobody can. We're all, we're all dead in our sins and trespasses. There's not one righteous, not, one, not a single one. Nobody's obeyed the law. Even those that don't have the law um, have a conscience and, and know about God. And, um, and we're all, we all stand guilty before him, and we know it. And, um, and then he says, but there's a way of salvation that's apart from the law. But the law bear, and the prophets bear, bear witness to it. And he, and, he go, and he goes and he says... Uh, in Romans 3.21, um, that way of salvation is Jesus Christ. It's manifest in Christ, and it's secured by Christ. And he says, by Christ who, um, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which means he bore the wrath of God in our place, right? He placated God's wrath. He satisfied it. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. God had nothing of his wrath left against us once he was done with Christ. He was all spent on Jesus. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Wow, that is to receive by us by faith. This was to show, here, here's what Packer hit on, Packer, Piper. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And you just think about that phrase, this was to show God's Righteousness, All this, this gospel, all that God did for us in Christ, in coming to us, in rescuing us, in standing in the gap for us, in our place between us and a God who is justly wrathful against our sin and rebellion. Our salvation, all that Jesus did to make a way for us back to God, back to his house, back to being in his family, back to being dearly beloved. It was all to show, first and foremost, it was to show God's righteousness. And he just unpacked that. I'm not going to do that here, but just showing how if he had loved us and not paid the price for sin, if he if he made us pay the price for sin, we wouldn't be with him. We'd be destroyed forever. But if he just ignored sin payment, he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be righteous. And he had to show us that he is perfect and pure and holy and good and that he hates sin and evil and he's going to do away with them and he wanted to wrap us up in his arms at the same time and how did he do that he did it through jesus 
who shows that God is both just and the justifier of the one who places his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's verse 26 of Romans 3. But just Piper just lands on that. He was, this was all done first and foremost to show us God's righteousness. It was to demonstrate his righteousness. It wasn't first and foremost about us. It was for his namesake. And that right-sizes us. And um, Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 32, expand on this right-sizing truth and how God says, I'm going to save you, not for your sake, but for my sake. And it's a beautiful and a trenchant passage, and I would encourage you to read it. That's Ezekiel, <clears throat> Ezekiel 36, 22 through 32. And Jesus embodies that and makes that possible. Um, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Okay, where does he lead me? He leads me in these paths. Um, And that leading us into these paths of righteousness, that's part of the restoration process. It's not just God removing the cancer of sin from us. It's also his feeding us with good, solid food, um, taking us out for exercise, as it were, and nourishing us, not just cleaning us, but nourishing us. And, you know, a lot of these... A lot of the way that this happens is through the Christian disciplines. And I'll talk about, I'll enumerate a few of those in a bit. But as we walk in those Christian disciplines, not disciplines that we do in order to be saved, but because we are saved and because we've been through no good of our own, um, brought into the house of God through the work and person of another, Jesus Christ, the true son, we refuse the good and we refuse the bad and choose the good. And... That looks like spending time with God daily. It looks like prayer. It looks like solitude and fasting and giving and stewarding and all these things, right? Um, But we don't do those things to be accepted. We do those things because we are accepted, right? And to fight the good fight of faith and to walk in the works that God prepared beforehand that we ought to do. Um, And so the path of righteousness that we're brought into is one that we're brought into by faith, and it is Jesus himself. What did he say? He said in John 14, I am the way and the truth in life. Actually, he said that in John 11, didn't he, to to Martha. Um, And actually, no, I was right the first time. I I am the resurrection of the life was to Martha, but I am am the way. I am the the halacha, as the Jews say. Um, He is, it's not doing this, that, and the other. It's knowing a person. It's really being led in paths of righteousness is being really, really being led into relationship because Christ is our righteousness and Christ is our path. <clears throat> it's being led into relationship by faith with God, by faith in Jesus Christ, whom he's, he's given to us. So it's an invitation. This is really an invitation not to do this, that, and the other, not to embrace the Christian disciplines first, but to embrace Christ by faith, to believe on him and to be reconciled to God and to know him and to be known by him and to be brought into a life of grace and truth um, and compassion and love. And in that relationship, we are able to, to walk as children in obedience, and that's where the Christian disciplines come in. And, you know, with, with a pathway, it's like the more you walk the pathway on a hillside or in a forest or in a glade or wherever it is, the more you walk that pathway and the more the sheep and the beasts uh, walk that pathway, the, the, the easier it is to see and the easier it becomes to walk in. 
and uh, it's not overgrown anymore and it becomes a nice wide clear path and you know there are bad ruts we usually talk about man i've gotten in a rut almost exclusively we use that in a negative sense but there are good ruts too and that's one of the ways the christian disciplines work is that the more we discipline ourselves through time with the lord and through solitude and through um prayer and reading of his word and giving and um living a life of stewardship and not ownership and on and on it goes uh, be um, you know loving the poor and tending to them and and serving um the more the easier that becomes we 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 wear good ruts and those are paths of righteousness but those are paths ultimately that he does for his own sake and he the fact is that if i boil it down and i can't say everything i want to say here he 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 attaches himself to us through Christ in such a way that he makes he attaches his welfare to us and that's a way of really talking about the gospel isn't it because we weren't well and so in our sinful miserable estate he made sure that he wasn't well he actually took our sin and burdens and sorrow upon himself and in so doing he may he's he starts the process of making us whole and making us well and so he has committed himself to us he has hitched his wagon to to us he didn't have to do that but he did that and and um that's what we do with our children you know it's like you can everything else in life can be fine but if your kid's not fine you're not fine and if your kid's out late you know a loving parent's going to stay up and is going to toss and turn if that kid if you don't know where that kid is or you think that kid's in trouble until that kid comes home and is well and safe and and that's what God has done with us. And so there's a sense in which you can read, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake and think, well, that seems kind of self-centered and egocentric, but it's not at all. Um, it's the way things work, like I've talked about, but also he does these things because he is he has chosen for us to reflect his name. And when we walk in paths of righteousness and when we live in a certain way, he's chosen for us, he's connected us to himself through Christ. He's chosen for us to reflect him. You know, I say to my kids uh, sometimes, and Robin does too, my wife, when, we, when they leave the house and we're going to send them to be with the grandparents or with someone else, with a friend, re- you know, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember the name that you bear. You're an ins. That's my last name. And, um, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Now, they usually, they usually they understand what we're saying, and they're great kids. Um, but they reflect us, what they do reflects not just on them but on our family and on me and on robin and and they're part of something larger because they come from us and that's what god in christ has done he's he's reattached us to him and he'll never let us go um and he's got the scars to prove it and so this is really a beautiful a beautiful um expression of the links to which God has gone to bring us back into relationship with him, really. It's not, it's the, it's the farthest thing from we need to do this, do that, and do that. That, all that stuff, living in a certain way and the Christian disciplines really, really come out of this beautiful reality of, of God bringing us to himself in relationship through Christ. So, um, this truth that he leads me, and then I'll talk about some of the, um, Christian disciplines and, and then maybe close, but um, I've already gone too long. This truth that he leads me for his namesake is another echo. I brought up the echo of Exodus in last, um, the last talk um, on verse 2, and it's, it's here again. Um, 
he leads me for his namesake. It's an exodus. It's an echo of the exodus. Um, the uh, one commentator says this, the climactic point in verses two through three for his namesake also associates the metaphor with the exodus, right? So he says also because this has happened before as we saw in verse two. Um, he's a good shepherd. He leads us beside still waters. He, he tends to us, but he also leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. As is indicated by the use, uh, this commentator goes on, as is indicated by the use of the same expression in Psalm 106.8 in the context of the deliverance from Egypt. So Psalm 106, uh, 7 through 9 says this, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Okay, how often, I'm just pausing here, how often do we forget God's works? Do we not dwell on what he's done for us in Christ? Especially when we're being pinched, we're experiencing pain, we are experiencing the privation from COVID, or our, the, the right party didn't win, and we wonder, God, where are you? Are you leaving us to, you know, whatever it is, uh, a child dies, a, a good friend, we get sick, uh, a bank account goes away. We had that happen this week. Holy cow. Um, we can question God. We can all of a sudden forget all of his faithfulness, former faithfulness is evaporating in our minds and hearts. Okay. They had just had God deliver them to deliver them, but they forgot. They started grumbling and complaining and they forgot. So they didn't remember the abundance of his steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, by the Red Sea. Yet he saved them. So they had, were at the Red Sea being pursued by Pharaoh. And they, that, mean, that meant that they just got this immediate amnesia. They forgot all the plagues that he just rained down on Egypt. Surely he's going to be faithful. He's, well, he didn't lead us here just to kill us. And then after the Red Sea, they do the same thing, right? We do the same thing. When we don't remember the love and power of God manifest in the person of Christ and his cross and his resurrection. Verse 8, yet he saved them for his name's sake. There it is. That he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as through a desert. Friends, this might seem, again, egocentric of God. It's not. It's If he did it for our name's sake, we can't handle that kind of glory. We don't deserve it. And um, it, because he does it for his namesake, it means that he actually does it. It's, it's, a sec, it's a secure and firm anchor for us. It means that he will be faithful because he's doing it because of who he is and not because of who we are. It's actually a wonderful uh, truth that his faithfulness doesn't depend on doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. Um, he's always been with his people. He's always led them as a flock through even the wildest places. He will always be with us. And thanks to Jesus, you know we have been swept up into this epic story. This story, if you are a Christian, you, this is this story of the Exodus is your story. It's the story of God's people. And we've been delivered from a far greater iron furnace of, of sin and death with a capital D and eternal unraveling, the dominion of Satan and hell. We've been delivered from that, no matter what is happening to us right now in this life. And we have real parts to play of gratitude and courage and faith and sacrifice and love. So I won't, I won't say that this story is about him, not us, but rather that the story is about him, and because it's about him, we've been given real, not two-bit parts to play. And, you know, closing down here, just he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Following our good shepherd in these paths um, 
day-to-day here in Houston, Texas, 2021, what does that look like? Well, like I said, it looks like having ample daily time in his word and in prayer, where you're both speaking to him, pouring out your heart to him, and listening to him. Maybe journaling, maybe taking walks. It looks like not letting yourself get led down paths of clickbait social media, or more credible paths of political and social commentary. Um, These can be wormholes. All these people are writing in the middle of this hot, unstable moment. Our objectivity is extremely hard to come by. Um, It's all the more important for us to be rooted and anchored in God's word. It's timeless and it's always true in every country, to every party, during rest and during unrest. So spend that time with him in his word, in prayer, in community. It looks like, what else is it? What do these paths of righteousness look like? They look like, it looks like refusing the evil and choosing the good. Um, think about the Christian disciplines, which I've been mentioning, scripture soaking, study, especially of old books, prayer, old books, because they stand outside of our current cultural blind spots. They had blind spots of their own, but we probably see where they didn't see, but they see where we don't. So as C.S. Lewis says in his introduction to um, the incarnation by Athanasius, you know, for every, a good rule is for every new book, read an old book, or at the very least, he says, for every new book, read, for every three new books, read one old book. Um, so scripture study or soaking in scripture, uh, study of other books, good books, prayer, not just, you know, not just news articles, but, but books that are researched and considered and argued well. Prayer, worship, corporate worship, worship, uh, by yourself with the Lord in your time with him. Evangelism, sharing your faith, that's a discipline. It's a wonderful discipline. Fasting, which I'm doing right now, and a lot of us are doing this first 21 days of January. Silence and solitude, something we need more than ever. Service and stewardship, including giving, and the list goes on. Um, caring for the poor, listening to the Lord, being attuned to what he's saying and doing, and, and responding and obeying. Um, like I said, sharing the good news of Jesus with poor sinners. You talk about loving the poor. That's a great way to love and care for the poor. Nobody's more poor than a sinner, a lost a lost sinner who's headed to hell. I don't care how much money they have. Um, it looks like love, right? Paths of righteousness look like love, ultimately. Loving God, loving your family, loving your church family, loving your neighbor, loving your, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. Who, who of us does that? Loving... Um, Loving us, the stranger, the enemy. How many of us have enemies? Take a, take a chance this week to not take a chance. Take the opportunity to love them, to obey your, your Lord and love them. If he hadn't loved us as his enemies, we'd be lost. Extend that same love to others. Um, loving yourself. Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And, and just don't ever forget, and then I'll close. Um, don't ever forget, this is not, these aren't weights. This is a, this is a, um, this path is not just things you have to do. He is the path of righteousness. Um, it's not what you do, it's who you know. And Jesus Christ the righteous is your righteousness by faith, Genesis fifteen six. It's not your good deeds, it's his, which are yours by faith. It's, it's, not, it's knowing him experientially by faith. Um, a mentor of mine said, I am not saved because of what I do. I am saved because of what Christ has done. And that, my friends, is the gospel. Um, the line doesn't read, he tells me to get, to get to walking down 
paths of righteousness, but what he leads me in paths. It's an invitation to relationship. And that's where our righteousness comes from. It comes from knowing him by faith. Um, there's a lot more, but I'm not going to share any more. That is going to be it for us this week. And uh, God bless you all.